Hello, this is Brian Leo, and I'm here with Anthony Hayden Guest, Chris Chambers, Linus Caraggio at IFAC, uh, the Yard Lower East Side, uh, a show that's curated by Lee Wells. And there will be an informal artist discussion happening right now. So I'm going to pass the mic to Linus Caraggio and Chris Chambers. Anthony. Hi. I, I, do I take this? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do I? Okay. Um, when you guys both got started, it was the time when the art world, especially in New York, was, you know, snapping, bab bubbling, and crackling. Mary Boone, Julian Schnabel, art, art stars, and the covers of magazines. What took you out into the street? What took you away from all that? Um, I just didn't see much opportunity to, uh, they weren't opening the doors to me. I was knocking on the doors. They didn't want to know from me. Um, so I got angry and just started. I had too much art. I didn't know what to do with this stuff. I just started pasting it up in the street. Yeah. And it had a, a somewhat surprising uh, immediate effect where these galleries that didn't even want to know from me all of a sudden were you know, I had some sort of presence. So that's really what they need is more than the quality or interest of the work is, and, and it's understandable that they need you to generate a buzz that's going to bring clients, frankly, money into their business. That's what got me started. Yeah. Now, now Linus, I sometimes get the impression did you feel rather strongly about the structure of the art world at that time? Uh, well, there was a moment, like around the time of the Times Square show, where there was some leeway for something new to happen. The uh, artists, for instance, that Leo Castelli was showing, uh, <clears throat> the Cats, the Lichtensteins, the Pearlsteins, um, those were feeling pretty tired to Chris and I as young artists. And... There was no chance to be showing really in, in Soho at that time. So after um, getting refused admission to the uh, Avant group, I decided to come up with my own genre of street art, which I called 3D graffiti, which uh, I started putting up around that time, early 80s. Yeah, but that was, a, that was an incredible breakthrough. I mean, nobody had done so. But... Do you remember a light bulb moment when you decided, what the hell, I'm going I'm to bolt this to a, to a stop sign or whatever? I absolutely do remember that light bulb moment. I was uh, sort of fuming over um, David Freed telling me that I couldn't be an avant because I really got into their abstract creations back then and wanted to try it myself. And uh, then I remembered going to public high school on West End Avenue and on my way to school, I'd kill time as like a eight or 10 year old and climb up these no parking signposts, which were made out of this U channel. And I would slip my feet into the notch and climb up each pole on the way to school and touch the sign. And I realized if I can get some height, then I could hold myself up there and, and uh, outstall, oh, a word I stole from Chris Chambers here. I could outstall my sculptures on those signs by 
through bolting my welded constructions to them. Okay, and uh, talking of breakthroughs, Chris, um, you know, when you began, uh, you've worked in various modes, you use words, you use images, but also you make very, very strong abstractions on the street. I've never known anyone else do that. There, there really wasn't street art per se at that time whatsoever in any kind. Like now, it's, I think, a general kind of a cartoony kind of a, or graphic sort of a look to it as graffiti was a complete, graffiti and street art are not the same thing. Graffiti was prevalent. And like most of the other young hoodlums grew up, or at least I did, writing in the trains. But it, it's, I felt that it was calligraphic and quite limited. And just putting up fine art as is, it just really wasn't done. Um, now it's, you know, it's all been conjoined street art. It's, it's all called street art, but the graffiti movement was actually quite, um, it, it was really having its limelight, its heyday at the time. And man, those, those, although we grew up with those kids, they hated what I was doing, you know, that this is, it's something else that you're trying to like bring up fine art into the graffiti realm. So street art and graffiti, there was a, a definite, they're not the same thing. And now it's all being called street art, which is a misnomer. There's also, I mean, it's also not the same thing as mu sanctioned murals are a whole other trip. They're, they're different things. A few years ago, they were calling it all urban art, which is kind of a ridiculous moniker in the first place. What's that? I'm not holding this close enough to my mouth. Uh, I should point out that Chris curated a show at Bishop Gallery in Brooklyn called Street Art vs. Graffiti in 2016, which zeroed in on the distinction between the two genres, uh, something that I don't think had been done in a, in a comparative well, show how, like that. How Diaz did the graffiti guys. Right, so it was co-curated with Al Diaz. What is this there? I, I'm probably wrong. I assume the graffiti, which is not what it means, was writing-based, and street art was basically art-based and event-based. Is that too simplistic? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I would say that's accurate, actually. But um, street art is, is an action. It's not a style. Mm -hmm. That's all. Yeah. Um, I, have a, I have a question for Chris. Speaking of calligraphy, we're sitting in front of a piece of yours that looks like it has some of that in it. Is, is that what's going on there? No, I really don't relate to the whole street art thing at all. I mean, I, I, I'm an artist uh, and that I put up a bunch of stuff in the street when I was a kid and continue on occasion to do, to do that. But I don't really relate to the whole trip. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Can I ask you both something? I mean, kids draw on the walls and nobody punishes them for that. But adults, when they do that, that's illegal. And indeed, many street artists call themselves vandals. How important is the element of illegality? Some people seem to find it very important. There, there are at least used to be uh, kind of tacit rules of decency. Hmm. I don't know if they, they still apply, but um, I mean, you don't often see 
graffiti on a private vehicle or on or you, you shouldn't do street art on a private home mm. it, it's usually commercial or municipal uh edifices now when the things are humming you both linus tell us about the gas station ah uh, so after art school at suny purchase i got out in 84 and uh, the question was how to keep doing art. So one way I did it was um, sneaking into different colleges, Hunter College and SVA, pretending I was a student and using the welding shop. But uh, after those, um, those uh, systems dried up, I was... Um, looking to do something more in public beyond 3D graffiti and came upon the, uh, the location of Forsyth and Rivington, which already had a, a budding downtown underground of the underground, if you will, scene with the No Say No Social Club, which um, was sort of a, a nexus for different performance artists and artists. And there was an empty lot on the corner, which we uh, took over. I brought a welder down and we plugged it into the basement electric and started dragging in metal. And to the what electric? To the basement electric where the utility box came in and uh, bringing electric out into the street to power the welder. So that spawned a, a three-year construction of uh, the first Rivington School Sculpture Garden. Then during that time, another space opened up on the corner of Avenue B and 2nd, which was a former three-bay gas station. And uh, that became a sort of adjunct to Rivington, and that's how the gas station started as a, um, a, a secondary location for art. Tell us about the Bad Museum. Aha, the Bad Museum. Um, before it was the Bad Museum, it was the Buskers Club in the basement only. And then um, uh, I had not returned to the loft I was sharing with Peter Epstein for like a month. And when I did come back, he had moved all of my stuff into the Buskers Club. And so I took it over. It's like, okay, I'm here now. And um, and then Hayward started asking me, like, let's, let's really do this. Hayward Earl Peel, the late, great Hayward Earl Peel. And um, what a guy. He financed, we took over the top floor. It was right next to where the, uh, the new museum is now. The Bad Museum was there, in fact, in full force. And we eventually had to stop because the, of the crowds. The fire department was on our backs constantly. And the whole place was jerry-rigged. I mean, Anthony, who had sublet us the place, Anthony Rebelli, had sublet. He had the whole place juiced like a... The electric was plugged into a, a street thing underneath the sidewalk to one of the, and, and he had the gas was like 
he hooked a vacuum cleaner up to the gas thing and wasn't paying the gas bills and like the whole yeah. thing was well, i'm not even going to tell you where the money all came from but um yeah so we just started hayward was a musician a brilliant musician really truly everybody who was in the house band has become some sort of major session player with big rock star guys by the way what did that stand for that museum? bohemia after dark now, so tell me some of the specific performances oh well we had rockets red glare doing um uh comedies we had uh, oh some of his jokes were nasty <laughs> and uh we had um movie night i loved making popcorn nobody bought any um i'll have some all kinds of stuff <laughs> um but we would have the artwork hung up oh, oh musical performances we had all the hot bands of the time conk and uh, defunct and james white and the blacks and i don't even remember who else this was but this was before this james white's first band wasn't it i think I don't know, 84, maybe? Yeah, 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 yeah. And Linus, I think you had some quite notorious performances in the uh, gas station. Yeah, we kind of did it all from gay disco to hardcore matinees to uh, the burgeoning rave scene of the early 90s. That all happened at the gas station. In fact, um, the, the Ilbient DJ style was invented there by another purchase graduate uh dj olive who uh collaborated with dj spooky who were sort of the house djs for a period but uh we also had theater poetry um john zorn played there uh, just a number of people including the infamous gg allen well, i heard of him yes i think his last performance it was died shortly thereafter, I believe. That's right. If he hadn't killed himself, I would have found him and done it because there was <laughs> mayhem and carnage. A sculpture of my mother's got stolen that night. Mm. Uh, may I add something? Of course. I mean, there have been other uh, things I've done in my life since those early days, obviously. But it's all kind of tangential to you know, the, the core, the focus is just, I'm an artist and this is what I do. And there are other things that are necessary to support that. Um, I'm talking about when I was young, putting, you know, street art and then having my own venue and then um, stuff I've done with magazines and curating shows, but it's all, you know, tangential to the, uh, what's it, the, you know, the, the line up the middle. Um, I wonder, you know, I think a question that baffles probably everybody about street art and graffiti. Now, you both know here we have on the walls and on the table art that has survived, art as it endured. But, but most street art goes. And I guess, in a way, most art, I think art is very unusual. If a writer writes something, he sells it, but he also gets to keep it. A photographer, photographer's pictures, he also gets to keep the pictures. But the greatest artists in the world, they sell it and they may never see it again, you know. And street art is that particularly true. I've, I've always been amazed. I see a huge wall somewhere, and some people have labored at that. And it's going to be tagged, it's going to disappear. Well, uh, uh, 
How do you deal with that impermanence? My art is like my children, and I'm a, <clears throat> a terrible parent. <laughs> what happens to them in the world I can't control and don't try to yeah um, what do you think I think street has become a very vital part of the art world now it's just become a crucial part if you already history of modern art is going to include a lot about street art I'm sorry graffiti or whatever you want to call it, that whole genre, which began as an outlaw genre, has become a necessary part of the history of the art of our time. Well, it's a lot more egalitarian, isn't it? I mean, it's up to the effort of the individual artist and the, uh, the public at large to decide. Um, it, it's not so much up to this nepotistic little group of rich folks choosing. Yeah. I mean, who the hell do these people think they are? I, I, I think I know more than any of them. So, you know, if they want to get wise and pass the duchy, good. I mean, I don't have any respect for it. Yeah. yeah Al Diaz mentioned something about advertising in public and who are they to put these images before our eyes that we can't avoid? So as artists, why can't we do the same thing? And I, I totally agree with that. Now, Al is very serious about it being a New York phenomenon. Well, you know, it really, I think, happened in New York City. The, the majority of what the history of the original 10 or 12 people who were doing street art at that time. And Chris and I are among the, the pioneers. Yeah. And it's ironic that somebody like Banksy comes along and draws all the limelight, and suddenly art, street art history begins with Banksy. You go to Google it, you might come away with that impression. But it's, it's not what actually happened. Um, for instance, uh, the artist Colette did a, a painting on the street, literally on the street, in an intersection of West Broadway, in the late 70s. And the early 70s, 72, 72. Yeah, it was the early 70s. So we recognize her as the, the godmother of street art. And that's not a, a known fact. But the first generation of street artists is Norman Mailer wrote about in a piece called, I forget the title of it, published in 1983. There was no, but there was no virtual media back then. So they're all forgotten. I mean, their names are remembered, Jackie and so forth. But their work is long gone. But this next generation are going to be famous forever because they're all over the internet. All about timing, I suppose. Yeah. Well, Colette's, um, it was really an, uh, maybe, I don't know, half a dozen. I don't know how many individual pieces she did. But we definitely took the idea that of what the graffiti and advertised a, a re repeated recognizable moniker or image and proliferating it rather than doing like one or two major things it was a lot of smaller actions christo did a piece in the street he piled a pile of old drums in the rue visconti in paris and way back called the iron curtain as a kind of you know, what 
that that he didn't ask for permission. Was that oh, no, he didn't. Not at all. But the, the cops were cool with it. Yeah. But we got some funny stories, but that is so <laughs> wrong about cops. But Did once again, I mean, street art was just, I mean, this was a long time ago, even though I continue mm. to do some stuff, it's really my focus, at least mine, and I believe yours is really the... Did any of you have a bad time with law enforcement at some... Close calls. Yeah, more like that. Uh, I was in front of a, a gallery I was showing at and put a piece up on a no parking sign. And the police arrive, and I split on my skateboard. And I came back uh, about a half hour later, but someone had been filming it. And after the regular police left, there was a guy who was an obvious plain clothes who went into the gallery, like looking for somebody like me. And uh, I hadn't returned yet. <laughs> That's on film. <laughs> you know the sign of the prominence of Paul Street Art now. People are stealing it. Um, well, they used to follow us around in the middle yeah, of the night yeah. when we'd go out on bombing raids. You'd be, there'd be somebody like sneaking around the corner, like, yeah, and yeah. run over and try to peel it off the wall. Yeah. Yeah, people would joke about uh, getting my art off the street rather than from a gallery or me. So, may have happened. Oh. It, it didn't bother me. Sorry? Richard, I used to run into him in the street at 3, 4 in the morning all the time. Um, he would have his bucket of paint and his little goofy bicycle. I have my thing of paste. Um, he lived at your gas station for a while, I believe. Um, yeah, later in the around 93, he was homeless and uh, begged me to have a studio at the gas station and promised that he was off dope and uh, what can I say, never believe a junkie. Um, <clears throat> but nonetheless, he ended up staying there two years and uh, actually superseded me by squatting there after I left under threat of sheriff padlocking the place. So I, I saw his process for a couple of years, uh, which I was, interested in to see how he actually painted the various uh, subjects that he did. And I later um, mimicked his technique in a piece that had... Um, well, what's that? You pulled some blood out of yourself and squirted it in? No, I kept the blood in, but I used a lot of urethane in between oh. painting coats, kind of like Titian or uh, the Carico 1500s Italian art. So, uh, but, yeah, there are a lot of Hamilton stories. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, I'll tell one more. <laughs> yeah. I was in Berlin uh, when the wall was still up and uh, in 86 and saw that Richard had uh, done some figures on the Berlin Wall. And I was going around early, that earlier that day. I'd bought, like, some spray cans and was just writing random stuff in, in English, um, the Rivington School had just gotten its name that year. And uh, I, the first Hamilton shadow, I wrote my name near it in Rivington School. And then the second one, I 
was towards the end of the day and I had a, the end of a can of white paint and I just decided to paint over the entire thing and uh, turned his shadow man into a ghost man. And there's an image of that in Frank Pelea's um, book of, of documents. Now somebody was, I remember when, when Banksy was over here, somebody called Taggart was going around destroying them all. Have you ever incurred any of that kind of competitive feeling from? Um, my stuff's pretty indestructible. Either you're going to rip it off totally, but to vandalize mm. it is sort of no. too much work for anybody. How about you, Chris? I remember graffiti that seemed um, uh, to, to like positive to like say like they liked it, mm. but negative? Not really. No. Yeah, some graffiti was too good. You just there was. It was unimaginable. It was like uh, <clears throat> putting a razor blade through a through a Gauguin or something. No, I mean there was graffiti saying like this is good, or somebody like was drawing frames around things and um, various comments, almost like a message board. People actually yeah. writing on the street, like "Look at this" kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, we haven't talked about the Basquiat phenomenon at all, have we? Um, Samo. Yeah, every time I had anything to do with Jean, he had an argument. <laughs> he was a difficult kid. Did you ever think of putting him in Avant? And, uh, no, I didn't. But it was like competition, you know? That's the way he thought of it. It's interesting that the two biggest bombshells in the economy of the art world have been Basquiat and Hamilton, I think. Well, Keith was running around too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think. I was wondering about Keith Haring, who seemed like he was traveling that commercial world and um, was um, doing a huge amount of stuff on the street also. Was wondering how you related to that, how he related to what you were doing. Was he a thing? Was he a sellout? Um, I think so. Um... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I just read his autobiography. I forced myself to finish it. And, uh, well, at the time I felt like that. I, I haven't thought about it in a while, but he had an opening on Avenue B and 10th Street at Semaphore East in 84. And I just on the spur of the moment devised this wild plan because I walked into the gallery while they were hanging it and uh, decided to uh, vandalize the show by drawing these V-shaped dicks on the figures that were inside the wall. 
And uh, <clears throat> fuck you, Keith Haring Foundation, if you're listening to this. But um, uh, this happened just before the opening, and he walked in and was the first one to notice it and got really upset. And that's when I split and uh, came back with a mattress that had a cartoon of a crouching Keith Haring figure and a standing figure with an erection. And the caption was Keith Haring giving, giving million dollar blow job to gallery owner. And I hung that on the spikes of the fence on Tompkins Square Park on the corner with a friend who helped me paint it, um, F.A.-Q, the street artist from Rivington School. And this happened just when the paparazzi showed up and they just zeroed in on the mattress and started taking pictures. And uh, the gallery owner eventually stormed out across the street and dragged it off the fence. And then uh, Screw Magazine, uh, Gary Azon happened to be there covering the show and had seen me and I knew him. And uh, he said, is it okay if I write an article about this for Screw Magazine? So Screw covered my art based on Keith Haring's uh, commercialist uh, stance at the time. <clears throat> I probably shouldn't have uh, told that story. but I would disagree to a certain extent. Um, regardless of the the sexual politics of the day and whatever, um, and whether or not I respected Keith Haring as an artist, um, he came up with an extremely effective marketing program. I mean, that, that was just brilliant. And I mean, that's it, hands down. He, he put, he drew those things in the subway and that it just took off like wildfire. He was doing that a lot. And he just, it, it was unavoidable. Like the whole city saw that stuff. And I don't think it was a sellout. I think he bought in. Whether or not you liked the work, it was up in your face. And that, you know, what gallery wouldn't want that instant? I mean, he made that happen for himself. He had his own store. I mean, he did that was much later. Oh, you're, you're kind of asking why he continued doing like the handball courts and that sort of stuff how afterwards? How did he fit in? Excuse me? I was just wondering how he fit into what you guys were doing. Or was he exploiting what he was I could care less. I mean, he has every right to exploit whatever he wants. Sydney he didn't do me any harm. Sidney Janis had a show of graffiti early on, I think. And that was one of the first, that was the first art world acceptance of the graffiti movement. Then Sofrazi pops up, and Sofrazi was kind of buying Keith Haring very, very early. Keith Haring was getting collectors when he was still putting up. You stuff know, that on the does bring up an I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, no, carry on. That does bring up an interesting point that Keith really was accepted in the graffiti vernacular and didn't really even though he, it really was um, image-based, there isn't really much writing, if any. But he stayed in the subways until really after his major successes, at which time he started doing handball courts, he kind of moved above ground. But that's interesting. I, never, I don't really know why he was okay with the graffiti writers and 
maybe just because he had Shafrazi behind him and had so, well, so much success that he could kind of share it. Also, he sought out L.A. too early on to collaborate. And yeah. So that gave him some. But um, the question was, how did we... How did Keith fit into what we were doing? It's more the opposite. Um, Herring was doing his stuff a few years before us, at least. I don't think so. Man. Yeah. Maybe well, before you. I don't know. Seventy-eight, maybe uh, seventy-nine for was sure. Doing that in seventy-eight. Yeah. Or it's like eighty-one. Okay. Anyway, this is like forty years ago. I think Herring was in, integrated with the art culture very early. But my, my point is, uh, Chris and I grew up in New York, so we saw that on the street, and we also saw, uh, you know, the Samo guys doing their thing. And uh, for me, that was part of the inspiration to try my hand at it. How about you, Chris? I said to Rifka earlier today that, uh, how did I call it? Um, deep, what did I call it, Rifka? Uh Deep Juice, New York School. Yeah, this it's all straight up New York. I mean, and, and it goes back before graffiti also. The um, you know, the the New York school, what is that, starts in the forties and then really took off post war. I mean, that's really and, and that develops into um graffiti and pop art and or maybe the other way around. And and that's what? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really it's at least I, I think what both I mean we're New York kids we grew up here it's I grew up going to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and the Art Students League we went to the High School of Music and Art and that's who we are I mean and it's such a multicultural city that I mean that's just what we are. Were you guys aware of what was going on in Philadelphia? Did you heard? Had you heard? No, what's his name? Cornbread. Cornbread was the first person to put his name onto on the tag on his name. Well, if you get like that, there was Kilroy was here. There was the Jetson. No, Sharks no, it's not that. It's, story the Philadelphia movie. police were so effective; they basically shut it down there, and the movement flourished here. Yeah, I didn't know about that. That time. I believe that's the case. In fact, the guy who was. The cornbread is now working for a movement to prevent street vandalism, believe it or not. Google it, you find that. Can I say something on that? Yeah, what? I was just going to say, and because I'm from outside of Philadelphia, I mean, there's something to be said about New York, but there's a partial exception to the New York way, like that the fabric of artists in this city is more integral. So, I mean, you guys have much more experience of like direct interacting with employees. But I know like complaining in subways, like, you know, some of them are kind of like, they kind of like act like they're doing what they're supposed to do, but there's a sense of like, some of them are, like some of them are really aggressive, but there is some part of it that's like the city kind of accepts it as a part of its culture. More than Philadelphia is not, the same kind of an art city. I don't think that. I think they just don't care. They they just keep. They don't have to do the work. They're not going to. You know, or 
if you don't want to be cynical, maybe they think that there's more serious crime to be dealt with. Well, Giuliani was hard-nosed about it all. And Giuliani swore to get Banksy. Yep. <laughs> Giuliani was after Banksy? Yeah, absolutely. And how about Bloomberg, who hated it too, right? But meanwhile, he was buying Keith Haring's. <laughs> how do you figure that? But Bloomberg okayed Christo to do the, the, the ah, Central, Central Park Gates. And, uh, as long as it's yeah, yeah. money and he had his name on it. Yeah. I think we're being shut down here. Yeah, shut down, right? <laughs> All right. Well, that's a, a, a piece of the tip of the iceberg <laughs> from us. <laughs> um, I'm a New Yorker. I support New York. But the fact is, you know, this is we're off, we're finished. Have you seen Chicago graffiti? It was totally different. They use, they use this German script like the New York Times type, typography and things well, like that. This is street art. And there were actually gangs. There were, there were hundreds of killings in Chicago. You can find that online. Here, two or three people were killed. But in Chicago, it was a real way of gangs to demarcate their, their territory. And this was what, in the 50s and 60s? I have a book called Chicago Hoods. Uh, but which has has illustrations and everything. Yeah. I mean, you know, they've been painting in caves long before they had streets. Uh, but I mean, when there were streets, mm. there, there were stencils of Mussolini and fascist stuff. And sure, you know, but painting on walls is ever since there were walls or caves or whatever. But you you know, the British invented it, don't you? Oh, they came before Pompeii. Leslie Charteris, the saint. Uh, that was before Kilroy. That, that was before Kilroy. What's that? That was before Mussolini, before Kilroy, before okay. that. that. That was the 1920s, I think. All right, then. On the other hand, you had Credit it. Credit where it's due. Oh, they had it in Pompeii, too. You know? Kilroy was in I mean, I mean the same? But, uh, okay, yeah. As, as long as, as, long as there have been walls, people have done stuff on walls. Go and look no, at, no, go and look no, at the... No, they used to call it cave art, you know. I just want to end the talk on a cautionary note. Um, street art, someone mentioned there's a, a persecution aspect to doing public art without permission. And we were talking about different uh, mayor regimes, I'll call them, of New York City. And it was Al Diaz who was being summoned to a court appearance because his uh, he was creating some notoriety in his career, and the police just decided to uh, to uh, serve him and have him appear, and uh, that forced him into getting a lawyer and uh, preparing a defense. Meanwhile, um, some part of the administration decided to award him with a uh, basically the key to the city, a plaque and a commemorative um, proclamation. Uh, they didn't go as far to make Samo Day, but uh, those two things were happening simultaneously around 2018. And uh, <clears throat> fortunately, the um, commemorative plaque, key to the city uh, path succeeded, but uh, it, it doesn't always for other street artists. So. All right, so uh, this is Brian Leo from White Hot Magazine, and I'd like to thank uh, Anthony Hitting Guest, Christopher Hart Chambers, and Linus Caraggio.
who's pouring his uh, coconut water right now. Um, are there any other questions from the live audience that's here right now? No, I think it was a pretty organic. People were able to let you know um, speak when they wanted to. And um, thank you to uh, Lee Wells for hosting us at um, IFAC on 85 Delancey Street. So, and thank you, Noah Becker from uh, White Hot Magazine. So, do you want to say thank you to Noah? Yes, yeah, shout Noah. it out. <laughs> thank yeah, you, Noah, and thank you all for your attention. I want to thank the artists for putting up with me. <laughs> Perfect.